Our New Testament reading will be from 1 Peter. I'm actually going to start at the end of chapter 1 on verse 22. Uh, but we'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 12. Peter has been talking about how we have to live really a holy life in an unholy and hostile world. And it's filled with great difficulties, greater for them than it is for us in this day, as they were suffering great persecutions. And he talks about how we have purified our faith, how we've been ransomed from the the futile beliefs of our forefathers and their actions and their efforts to a living faith in Christ. And so starting at verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Certainly the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the encouragements that we read in your word and the great promises we see and the hope that we know from it. 
And as we look into it this morning, we ask, Lord, your blessing on our hearts, that we might be lifted up and encouraged to draw closer to you and to live more holy and righteous lives before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting chapter 2 finally, and we'll only look at the first three verses today. Put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. It's a very important idea to put away, because we are not what we were before. We are a new people, a new creation in Christ. We are the brides of Christ. And there is promise there will be a great day when the wedding ceremony will take place. In Revelation 19, we read about this. It says, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself in fine linen and bright and pure. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Paul tells us that he feels a divine jealousy for us in 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4. He says, Because I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, I am afraid that as a servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and proclaims another Jesus than the one we have proclaimed, but if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, But if you accept a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now, we are the bride of Christ, and we are to be holy, and we are to be pure. We are to be set aside and leave behind the things before. In Genesis 2.24 in the garden, when marriage is established, we're told a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You know, the idea of leaving behind what was before and embracing the new life. That is what marriage is all about. And God uses that, that idea of marriage that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden to help us understand about our new life in Christ. Like the bride, we are to leave our family and go to our husband and cleave to him. And our husband is Christ. Now, I'm sure we've all experienced in our lives or seen people or known people where their marriage hasn't quite worked that way. The husband or the wife doesn't really leave their family and start a new one, and there's conflict. Either the the husband's mommy rules the house or the mother-in-law tries to rule the house. And what happens? There's conflict, there's fighting, there's struggle. The family does not grow. There's sorrow. Well, when we think about our marriage with Christ, you know, what are we leaving behind? Those corrupt ways that our parents had. The futile ways that Peter talks about in chapter 1. We're turned aside from those, from our sin, from our corruption, from our unholiness, from our efforts to save ourselves and glorify ourselves and please ourselves. We are leaving all of those behind. And we are embracing our new, our new love, our Messiah, our Christ, our husband, as it is put in Scripture. And we really do need to leave them and submit to the Lord. And what does submitting to the Lord look like? We speak of this often. John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
You'll turn away from the sins that you had before and embrace the way that he has defined in his word. Many really, though, we struggle to give up the old family, right? the old life. We struggle to give up sin. We struggle to give up the flesh. We'll still listen to the devil. And that really brings disgrace upon our new husband and upon Christ, upon our new life. James tells us in James 4, speaking of prayer, he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Why does he say adulterous? Well, because we are the bride of Christ. We're to love him and cherish him and obey him in all things. And we're fooling around with somebody else, the devil. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be the friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you not suppose It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You know, we are the bride of Christ. Why are we whoring around with the world? That is what he is telling us. And that is just one example we can see from scripture of what he's talking about. To put away, put off, put behind us all of those things of our old life. Another illustration the Bible uses we see in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we read, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were in the kingdom of Satan, the domain of darkness. And now we have been moved to a new country. You know, during the Cold War, many people died trying to flee their old country. I met a man in the army. We were friends for a few years, six months or so during training. He was from Romania. He was a scout in the Romanian army. And he used the skills that they taught him to sneak across the border in the night, evading machine guns, evading booby traps and landmines to get to freedom in the West. He wanted what the West had, freedom and justice He wanted an end to the tyranny, an end to the injustice, the corruption, the evil that was represented by his country and his mind. And he embraced his new life in America. And he changed all the things. He learned how our culture worked, how our government worked. And he embraced those because they were so much better than what he had before. And he didn't want to keep those. Now, if you try to keep those things, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to become a traitor to your country. If we try and keep those things that we had before Christ, we can become a traitor to Christ. I've seen this happen. Satan's kingdom, the domain of darkness, is an enemy kingdom. It is at war with the kingdom of God. It is at war with the people of God. And we do great harm to the kingdom of heaven if we try and maintain our open relationship with the kingdom of Satan. When I lived in Idaho, I found a very big difference between where I was living and just 30 miles south in the city of Sandpoint. Sandpoint has a ski resort, it has a beach and a lake. Year-round, 
activities for tourism. And a great number of people who had left the troubles of L.A., the troubles of San Francisco, the troubles of California, have settled up there. Oh, we don't like the corruption, we don't like the crime, we don't like the taxes, we don't like the, you know, the fact that we can't go out of our home. And so we've moved up here. But what happened? For those of you not familiar with Sandpoint, they brought with them all their ideals. Oh, everybody should have free money, and nobody should have to work, and you know, drugs should be legal, and all the usual things that caused all the problems they had, they brought there. And what has happened to Sandpoint? It's not much better than L.A. It's smaller. It's tiny. So it's not quite as horrible. But all the problems have come back. Why? Because they didn't make a clean break. You know, and that's what happens to us. We, you know, I'm, God has saved me. I'm a Christian. It's great joy. It's a wonderful thing. But, you know, I still love some of these old things in my old life. I still want them. I still want to keep them. What kinds of things? I mean, his list, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. It's a short list, but what does it cover? It really covers all of those basic human impulses and desires. All the things that were leading us astray in the past. We must put them away. If we fail to do so, we will turn the church, we will turn our new life into the old life. And that happens. I remember talking to a friend in Cincinnati when I was living there. And he was telling me the Christian high school has the same amount of drugs, the same amount of teen pregnancy, the same amount of violence as the public school. Why? Well, because... These are kids. They're not necessarily all believers. They don't necessarily know how to behave. And they've brought in all the things they had when they were in public school into the private school. And we do that in the church. We bring in some of that old, corrupt world with us because it's in our heart. And that's why Peter is telling us to put away those things of the past. We have left our country. We have left our former God, the devil. Let us turn away from him completely. Turn away from our sins. Turn away from all that corruption and do what is right. That is what he's been talking about through the whole of the first chapter. Chapter divisions are somewhat arbitrary and this, this passage we're doing today really is connected directly to what, just ha- what he just said. And in fact, it starts off so, therefore... Because of what I just said, because you have been purified, do this, put it off, put it away. It's our first duty, really, as a Christian, to be transformed. Many of you know the Romans Road as a way of sharing the gospel, and I end my Romans Road when somebody is saying that, yes, I am a Christian. We go to 12, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. Now the very first thing we do as a new Christian is to start casting off the old corrupt nature and trying to be transformed into the image of Christ. And that is hard sometimes. And people will look back and say, you know, it was a lot easier when I was a Christian or before I was a Christian. It was a lot easier when, you know, my family and my friends accepted me and when my company accepted me. And now I'm struggling. And they look back with longing. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 6, or 9.62 rather, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, it's a harsh statement, but we are to turn away from those things. No, I don't want my old life back. No, I don't want the pleasures of sin. I know they are fleeting. No, I don't want to be angry, to be jealous, to be bitter, to be resentful, to lie, to cheat, to steal. Those are the way it used to be. I, I want to put off the malice, the deceit, the hypocrisy, the envy, the slander. I want to lay them aside. In the great hall of faith, we hear of all of these great Christians and believers throughout all history and all they have suffered and all they have believed. And in the next chapter, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. You know, all of those things of the past, all of those things we once loved and enjoyed and preferred, they, they cling to us like sticky, wet clothes preventing us from running. They're like weights that carry keep us from enduring and keep us from achieving the goal of the upward calling in Christ, to keep us from living that godly life we've been called to do, that life worthy of the gospel, which we have believed. Paul puts it in these words. He says, this is not what you have learned in Christ, to continue in sin. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. In other words, he's saying Assuming that you have tasted that the Lord is good, using Peter's words. He said, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And so, what is Peter telling us? Put away these sins. You know, yes, we understand them. Malice. Sometimes it feels good to hurt others. Deceit. Sometimes it's easier to cheat, trick, lie. Hypocrisy. Sometimes it's easier to pretend to be what we're not. Envy. We want what they have. Slander. We speak evil of them to look better. Yes, we must put off all of these things, put away the entire old self. Why? Well, if we want to live and grow in Christ, then we need to put those off and seek the nourishment that will allow us to grow in this new life. Now, he says, like a newborn babe. Yeah, tell your children they're babies, and what do they say? 
I'm not a baby. I'm an adult. I'm wise. I'm ready for solid food. I can handle steak tata. Well, I can't, but maybe you can. Uh, and he says, like a newborn babe. Pride come, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, there is wisdom. Proverbs 11.2. And we need to humble ourselves. That is what Jesus says over and over again. In Matthew 18, 3 and 4, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Mark has a similar statement in Mark 10, 15. He says, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How does a child receive the kingdom? Well, with full acceptance and trust of what they're told. They believe, they hear, they accept, and they believe it to be true. You know, when you're hearing it from God, you know it is true. But we have to humble ourselves. We think, oh, you know, I'm, I was 27 years old when I was saved, For me, in my case. I'm an adult. I have wisdom. I have knowledge. No, I've been born again. I'm a new, newborn babe. And I need to be nourished as a newborn babe. To receive the word of God, both for our salvation and for our spiritual growth and our spiritual life, we, we need to really humble ourselves. James talks about that in James 1, 21 and 22. He says, put away all filthiness and the rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now that is the point here as well. Put off those sins. If you're still in them, you're not going to be able to grow. You humble yourself. And it really needs to start with that knowledge that God has caused us to be born again, he says in the first chapter of Peter, first Peter here. God has caused us to be born again. We're babes now. We're not mature. We're not physically babes, but we're spiritually babes. And yes, the idea in some areas, like in 1 Corinthians and Hebrews, you know, the idea of you, you need milk, not solid food, because you haven't matured in your faith. I don't think that's Peter's intent here. He's not talking about, oh, because you're so immature, you have to have milk. Uh, like the author of Hebrews is rebuking the people. You know, it's hard to explain. I have much to say, but it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing, Hebrews 5, 11 and following. For by this time you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, like laying aside their sin and corruption and doing what's right. It says you mean milk, not solid food. Uh, that's a rebuke of their learning, their struggling, that they aren't doing what they need to do. But that's not Peter's point here. Peter is talking about how, like a newborn babe, we need that pure spiritual milk. When I was a missionary in Cambodia, I knew a doctor. He was he was missionary doctor, American. And we were talking one day, and he said, yeah, I saw a child today, a little baby, covered in sores, thin, dying. And they brought him to me. Sometimes that's very hard in the countryside because there's no transportation if you don't have money. Long walk. 
And he said, I examined the child and I couldn't figure out how could he possibly get this way? Well, what are you feeding him? Oh, my breast milk was dry. I don't, you know, she was very thin and poor. Uh, well, what are you feeding him? Well, I feed him the canned. What, what kind of can? Uh, it says creamer on it. She was feeding him coffee creamer instead of milk. Why? Well, co- can of coffee milk, coffee creamer is like $5, and a can of formula is like $15, and they don't have $5. Forget 15 The boy was dying of malnutrition because he was eating toxic food instead of pure milk. And when Peter here is talking about our need for pure milk, he's talking about the real thing, the good thing, the thing that makes us grow, that helps us develop into an adult. And we really need that. You know, it was sad to see a malnourished baby because the mother couldn't produce milk. You know, praise God, there are baby formulas, and they got her baby formula. But even the baby formula is not really all that good for you. You know, it contains things like soy protein isolate and other harshly chemically processed foods. And what happens if you have too many of those? Well, you end up like me with Parkinson's or other health problems as you grow. You know, the real pure mother's milk is what really helps a child to grow. And the pure mother's milk from a spiritual standpoint, is what? It's the word of God, kept pure, not mixed with error, not mixed with the ideas of men, but kept pure. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.17 that you know, we're not like so many who are just peddlers of God's word, people who sell God's word for profit, but we are men of sincerity, In chapter 4, he talks about how he has this ministry of mercy from God. And they have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways and refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with the word of God. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in sight of God. Uh, You know, the word of God is hard for people. I remember I I was an atheist. I hated God. I hated Christians. I had all these secular ideas. I became a Christian. I'm reading it. I'm like, you know, this is the opposite of what I've believed my whole life. Everything I know is wrong, is what I said. But for many, that's hard to say. It's hard to put everything we had before aside. We want people to kind of adapt it for us and make it easier to accept. I remember when... Barack Obama was elected president. His, the pastor of the church he was going to in Chicago said that I'm very proud that you know, my preaching and my teaching is not an offense to stumble him. Obama at the time was Muslim. And in a Christian church, not being stumbled by Christ. How can a Muslim hear that Christ is God, that Christ is Lord, that Christ is the only one who can take away your sins. The only way to get to the Father is through him. You know, if a Muslim hears those things, he's not going to be happy. But people will adjust things, and we like that. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy 4 when he says, To Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort 
with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, people want the word adjusted for them. But when they do that, it's like feeding a baby creamer instead of the pure mother's milk. It's hard sometimes to draw the line. What is good and what is bad? And when are we going beyond what, what is written? And we need to be careful. And we need to listen carefully. Like the Bereans, checking the scriptures to make sure it's correct. That we aren't led astray by our own desires. We don't want to be those that Jesus condemned. Remember in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, he says, quoting Isaiah, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That pure spiritual milk that we need is the word of God. Now, the author of Hebrews is making a point. Some parts of it are easy, like baby's milk. Some parts of it are... Uh, a little harder, like brahak. Uh, brahak is a famous dish in Cambodia. It's fish that they put in a basket, they mash with their feet, they put salt on it, and let it ferment for a while, and then you eat it. Um, not everybody can handle that. Well, there are things in the Word that are harder for us to understand, harder for us to accept, especially with our our nation and our culture raging against it. And it takes patience and long-suffering from the people around them to see them grow into the truth. But if without the truth, without that pure spiritual milk, there can be no growth. You know, if we, if we hide the things that bother people and hide the things that offend people, then they can't grow. Preach the truth in love. Love being the most important part of that next to the truth. If you preach the truth without love, they're not going to grow either. Uh, A baby can't make it to adulthood on creamer. We can't make it to be mature Christians without the truth of the word. No matter how hard it may be, all scripture really is God-breathed and profitable. Notice it doesn't say some of the scriptures is profitable. All of it is profitable, even the things that are hard, even the things we don't always like. But it's profitable that we may be complete, be equipped for every good work, he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3. That's what we all want to be, complete, perfected, able to do all the good work that God wants us to, so that when we reach heaven, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the desire. We don't want to be of those who reach heaven as if escaping through fire without even the clothes on our back. What causes us to grow? Well, that's what we should crave. Uh, The shorter catechism, question number 73, talking about the word of God, it says, how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual for salvation? It says, the word may become effectual for salvation. We must attend to it with diligence, with preparation, with prayer. We must receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts 
and practice it in our lives. That's true not just for salvation, but for spiritual growth. We have to have that reverence of the word that this is my spiritual food. If I don't eat this, I will not grow. And we eat it by, well, by reading it, by committing it to memory, by meditating upon it, examining our own life and our own heart. Am I really in agreement with this? Is my life in agreement with this? Am I living this? That is how it becomes effectual for us. Now, he says that we might grow up into salvation, and that might trouble you a little bit. Well, if I'm saved by faith, how do I grow into salvation? Am I, like, partially saved, and I have to get more saved later? And I think most of us here understand, and we've seen in Scripture a number of times, no, all those that the Father has given to Christ will come to him, and he will raise them up on the last day. That's not the meaning here. The meaning, I think, is more what we've learned in the past what we learned when we were going through the book of Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. He says, My beloved, as he has always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in Second Corinthians 13, he says, five, verse 5, Examine yourselves, see whether you're in the faith, test yourselves, but do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. I think the idea here of growing up into our faith is God knows who he has saved. And there, but there will be people at the last day who come and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, away from me, I never knew you. What's the difference? Oh, I, I, you know, I professed faith, I was baptized, I was in the church, I worked. The, the difference is not they worked hard enough to get saved. The difference is their work was not for God. They didn't have him in their heart. They might not realize it. I mean, if you had asked me before I became a Christian what it means to be a Christian, and you asked me after I was saved, there's a big difference. What is the difference? Well, something I could never imagine or never understand had happened. The Spirit of God had come into me it had taken out my heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh and given me that faith to believe. And without that, I could never have understood the concept. And what he's telling us, work out our salvation with fear, grow up under your salvation. Part of it is, you know, you know you're saved, not by looking at your works in the sense of I've earned it, but by seeing God has changed my life. I am a new person in Christ. I am turning away from that old person. I hate the sin and corruption of my former life. I'm embarrassed by it. And now I want to be what Christ wants me to be. And we see the Spirit in our life, in our work. That's part of it. The other part of it is, if that is true, and if our heart of stone has been taken out, we've been given a heart of flesh. If we have a new life, we're born again, he says. God has caused you to be born again in chapter 1. We're born again by the Spirit into Christ. Then we will naturally start working towards the goal of being like Christ. We have a new life, a new heart, a new desire, a new purpose to please the one who gave his life for us. 
And we will see that. That is what we are doing when we are growing up into Christ. We are reading the word. We are saying, oh, I have this wrong. I thought the best way to solve the world's problems was through abortion of unwanted children. Because then we won't have all these unwanted children doing crimes and being ignored. And now I read in the Bible, that's murder. And I embrace that fact and that truth. And now I say, you know, we need to find a way first to try and encourage people not to make unwanted babies by ending their promiscuity. But also we need to find a way to love and care for and raise them and nurture them so that they become godly people. That's what we're talking about here, though. We're growing up in our salvation as we read something and we find, oh, I'm wrong. What do we do? Erase it. (laughs) No. We look at our heart and say, my heart is wrong. Change it. And through prayer, we go to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, what I want, I see from your word, is not what you want. My way is not your way. Make my way your way. Help me, Lord. Give me the strength to see the truth. Give me the will to overcome the sin, to turn away from the corruption, to lead this new life worthy of you, worthy of your calling, worthy of your gospel. Crave, that's pure spiritual milk, the word of God that enables you to do this. Now, that word, yes, does enable us to grow, But as I've already hinted of, in verse 3 it says, If indeed, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now in the Old Testament, there were many promises made to the kingdom of Israel. It was a theocratic kingdom. God ruled over them. God promised them great blessings. We read about one of them in Psalm 34, starting at verse 8. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him will have no lack. The young lions will suffer want and hunger. But for those who seek the Lord, lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there desires life and longs for many days? that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards those that are righteous and his ears towards their cry. Many great promises to bless temporally in this world, in this life, the people of Israel, if they would obey him and follow him because he was living with them as their God. Now, we don't quite see the same promise in the New Testament. There is some of that, where God does bless those who live for him. Of course, even the Old Testament, not everybody was so blessed. What happened to the prophets? God would raise up a prophet, a messenger of the covenant, to go tell the people, you have sinned and broken my covenant. What happened? Persecution, flogging, death. It's sad. Jesus says in John 15, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you of its own, but you are not of the world. I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not above his master. 
If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all of these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. In the next chapter, verse, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, he continues, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. He's talking about the Jews who were supposed to be God's people, believe they're serving God by persecuting and killing those who have embraced the Messiah. You know, we have that life for ourselves. That is, at least in part, the promise. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy 3, 12 and following. All who desire to be a, lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and what you firmly believe, knowing whom you have learned it from, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the scriptures, which were able to make you wise unto salvation through Jesus Christ. Then he goes on with the passage we just read. All scripture is God-breathed. <coughs> there is a promise that God will bless. The blessings may not come always in this life. Jesus talks about that. He says, you know, all those who have left homes and families and children and mothers and fathers, yes, they receive blessings in this life, but they will receive much more in the life to come. You know, Paul says, if we have only hope in this life, we are above all men to be pitied. You know, when we taste and see that the Lord is good, it is not because the life of every Christian is better than the life of every pagan. That's not true. That's not right. What he's saying is, Yes, he does bless, but more importantly, the blessings are eternal life. You know, all men have that knowledge in them that they try to burn and sear out, that there is a God, that there is justice, and that justice will be done. We've been saved from that justice. We were looking at an eternity of torment and hell for our sin. But because he has come to us, because he has taken out our heart of stone, because he has caused us to be born again, because he has put his spirit in us, we now can taste that he is good. My sins are as far from me as the east is from the west. That is the goodness of God that I have tasted. The goodness that only those who have a new heart really can taste. Before we had that, we could never understand I, I probably had heard the gospel many times in my life, but because God hadn't changed my heart, it made no sense. Once he did, it made sense, and then I could taste the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the knowledge that no matter what happens in this life, he will cause it to work out for my good. The knowledge that no matter what men may do to me, I will be with him for eternity. No matter what I may suffer, no matter what sicknesses I may have, no matter what troubles and trials I may have, he is my God and he will be with me forever. That is how we taste that the Lord is good. We love and take refuge in that and in him. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, this is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. I will be with him forever and ever. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8:16. That witness, that passing of the test, those evidences in our life of our doing more and more what God loves and hating more and more what God hates. That is what gives us this joy inexpressible that Peter talks about in the previous chapter. Our salvation, our hope, our living hope in the living God. So we hunger and we thirst for righteousness and we taste that the Lord is indeed good. And if we do, then surely we should look to the milk, the pure spiritual milk of the word, for how to live that better life, how to put off the old self, how to put on the new self, what the new self should look like. We, we drink that pure spiritual milk and we grow up into our salvation, into adults who love God, who know God, who live out God, who even by our lives are a testimony to the grace and glory of God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your kindness to us, for your saving us, for your drawing us from our sin, drawing us from the corruption of this world, redeeming us from the futile things our forefathers taught us, and bringing us into the true saving faith of knowing your Son as Savior and Lord, of knowing you as Father, of knowing your Spirit in our heart and seeing the evidence of that in our lives. And we pray now, Lord, that you would give grace to us to go out and to live that life worthy of you, putting off the old self, putting off the sins, turning away from all those evil things that Peter talks about from the malice and the deceit and the hypocrisy and the envy and the slander and the love of the flesh and the love of the world and the service we gave to the devil. Help us, Lord, to turn from those more and more and grow up into our salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.